last weekend. Isn't that true? What a good time we had to celebrate um, just uh, 40 years of our pastors ministering here at the Cornerstone. And um, boy, um, I got to tell you, one of the highlights for me was that um, pineapple relish. I mean, where's Greg at? I got to get that recipe. I mean, in that food, it was a good time having us all together, celebrating all the Lord has done. And um, it was an, an incredible time. And, but I got to be real with you, one of, the, um, one of my, the highlights was, of course, when Pastor Rick came up here and shared. And um, I, I'll never forget it because I, I was sitting there watching him, and he's just kind of contemplating, you know, ministry, sharing, encouraging us. And then he gets up, you know, he kind of walked out beyond the, the table here, and he goes, you know, thanks for the video, thanks for the 40 years, but that was the past, all right? Let's move forward into all that God has for us. And then he got, he lit up, he got on fire, and many of us kind of joined him, and he charged us into what God has for us. Obviously, the Holy Spirit's moving, and he says, listen, it's not time for us to get on the defensive. I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm more fired up than ever. And he says, listen, we're not on a cruise ship. We're on a a battleship, and then the, the guns came out, and the worship team came up here, and things started firing. He says, we're at war, people. We have an assignment. God is moving through us and in us. And I know many of us, our whole countenance changed, you know, social media changed, and, and we're on board, aren't we? We're on board with our pastors, and they're getting their assignments now, moving forward. We try to give them a little bit downtime. In fact, he was supposed to be on vacation last week, but he came in, and he goes, this is what I want to do with my life, and that's engage in the plans that God has for us, because it is true, we are at war, aren't we? There is a battlefield. I mean, we, um, it, it's, it's kind of evident, and every time you turn on the, the TV, war and, and is in front of us. Many of us are distracted about what's happening in our, in our nation, our world. Uh, we turn on to see what's happening in Ukraine. I was just at a district pastor's gathering on Tuesday. And, um, and that was a forefront. And um, as you know, we, um, I was getting some updates from the pastors about what's happening with our responsibilities here with our Foursquare disaster relief and what we're doing in Ukraine and getting testimonies of what, because we have a lot of churches, orphanages right there in Ukraine, and it, it was hitting home as these pastors were just coming in, and the teams were coming in giving a report on all the Lord is doing right now in the midst of this battle, this war front. And they said that as soon as the evasion came, because we have an orphanage and several churches in Kiev, that they began to evacuate immediately. Many of the, the kids, there's over about 150, 160 kids, and some of the staff from various churches and, um, and they, they left about six men to stay. There happened to be a, um, underneath the, sh the, the, the um, orphanage was a bomb shelter. And so it's become a refuge center in Kiev. And the good news is kind of good news. They got the kids out to the border to Poland. But then they end up in a refugee camp. And it was the most horrific situation for them. And they said, we got to get them out of here and get them into some other um, safer passage. So they got these these buses, and in fact, for the kids, people were giving up their seats just so the kids could get onto the buses, and they got them into Germany, and then our churches huddled them and loved on them, and to the point where many of them are now coming into the San Diego, into the, to the borders, and so you see this mobilization of the church coming on fire to meet their needs, and we heard of the, the aid, because there's only enough um, supplies for two weeks, so they're trying to get those shipment of those trucks in. So they send the, about four semi-trucks, they get them to the border, and they switch drivers, and they send them in. And unfortunately, one of the trucks was, was um, hit by a bomb. 
So out of the four trucks, three made it, and we did lose a couple lives there. But, I mean, this is wartime. But it's good to see hearing testimonies of, in this transition as they're traveling, how God is taking care and, and doing a work that um, you can see how we're called to do. This is a wartime. We're called to bring that peace, bring that comfort. And this morning, um, it kind of goes hand in hand with the word that we have for us um, in John chapter 7. So if you get your Bibles out, we're going to be in John chapter 7. And Jesus is um, sharing this at the Feast of Tabernacles. And it is the last day of the feast. And it was a joyous celebration. In fact, what they were doing during this time is this is the day, the last day, where the priests would bring the water pots to the tabernacle, to the, to the temple, and they would pour these water pots. And the reason why they would celebrate on this Feast of Tabernacles, because they were celebrating their time where the Lord brought them out of the rule of the Egyptians, where they went into their promised land, how God had, you know, they, when Moses would hit the water, right, out of the rock, and out of the water would come the water. And they're symbolizing all the Lord had done to bring them to this land. And um, in fact, they would start singing songs and they would quote the prophet Isaiah. He says, with joy, we will draw water out of the well of salvation. You know, that Feast of Tabernacles is also called the Sukkot, which means the, the tent. And the people would actually travel all the way to the Israel to, to go and they would set up tents to symbolize how they would set up tents and they would journey through the desert. That kind of hits home because um, you know, my daughter, she's, she's celebrating her birthday, and, you know, last couple of years, she couldn't have much of a birthday party, and so, she, what do you want to do? We want to go big. She goes, I want to take all my friends camping, surfing on the beach, and I said, okay, you know, so we had like 20 kids out there, and we had tents, you know, and I'm singing, man, I did this for one night. I can't imagine doing this for like five to seven days, you know, all journeying together, you know, and, 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 and that's what they were doing. They, they would come and they would sing songs and God's provided for them and God's trustworthiness. And they would sing. And then Jesus was obviously a fulfillment. He was a fulfillment of all of this because he's at this celebration and he shares this with the people. In verse 37, he tells them, on the last day of the feast, the great joy Jesus stood up and he cries out, if anyone thirst, he says, let him come to me, to me, and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said, he obviously is speaking about the spirit. Whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. He's, what is Jesus offering? What is this water that he's, he's creating this thirst, this hunger for? He says, we were thirst for me. You know, obviously he's speaking, that we've been doing this series on the Holy Spirit, and, and I believe that is what our pastor's been doing. You know, he's been even creating a hunger and a thirst for him, for more of his power, what, what the Holy Spirit wants to do, something more. The best, he says, is yes to come. He wants to, he's crying out for the people to be his church, to extend into the mission that God has for them, to be battle ready. You know, we're on this series about, you know, the, the Holy Spirit. Let me introduce you to the Holy Spirit, and we learned all about the Holy Spirit. And then we learned about what the Holy Spirit does for us. And then, of course, we've been talking more importantly what the Holy Spirit does through us. 
but now there's something else. You can know all of that, but unless there's that hunger, unless there's that thirst, unless there's something, Lord, give me that. I want that. And we've been talking, we've been hungry for that, and we want more of that. If you go down a couple chapters before, in John chapter 4, we get a better understanding of this, um, this water that Jesus is offering. It's a very familiar scripture where he's at Jacob's well in verse 6. And Jesus had been wearied. He was on his journey. He was thirsty. and He was sitting by the well. And it says it was about the sixth hour. It was about noon. And then a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And then Jesus asked her the question. He says to her, give me a drink. What's kind of interesting about this, we're going to notice that Jesus never got his drink, by the way. <laughs> Unless it's not recorded. He got, never, never got the drink. Poor Jesus. He says, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink for me, a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. As you know, there was a big rift between the Jewish people and the Samaritans, even more than the Gentiles. They were considered unclean. In fact, this woman perhaps you know, you're going to get to know her story. You know, she was maybe coming at noon because of her shame. And they would avoid at all costs have any encounters with, any, with, the, um, with, the, with, the, with the Jew. And she's had some hardship. We're going to see that. In fact, for anything, she's probably wanting to avoid people. She could have came in the morning when it's cooler, but she comes in the middle of the day. Well, because of maybe her background, she wasn't well received. She didn't want to encounter anybody, let alone Jesus. And she has this encounter with Jesus. And Jesus says, give me this drink. Now notice, this water that Jesus is offering, he ain't going to give it to you unless you ask for it. You got you to you ask for it. It's not us, it's automatic. He could have, you know, no. He's having this conversation hoping this woman would thirst because he says that this water will satisfy all your needs. All your needs. Jesus is asking these questions. He's using his tactics. Here's a shameless plug for one of our um, connect groups, our outreach groups. You know, we're going through a, a curriculum called tactics. And we're modeling what Jesus is doing here, you know, engaging with people in conversations and, and how you go about doing that, asking questions to get people to hunger and to thirst and to ask. And we're going to be doing that. I encourage you to come out next weekend. You know, Pastor Rick talked about us going out into the community. He says we're going we're to start doing that next weekend, Sunday. Please, all of you, join us. For some of us, we're going to be using our tactics or simply praying and taking ground in Jesus' name. Carrying some little bit of water with us. So bring your water bottles. <laughs> And so Jesus is using his tactics, and he says this. He asks a question, verse 10. If you knew the gift of God and who it was who was saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. And he would have given you the living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where are you going to get your living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did your sons and his livestock. So here's Jesus offering us a, a drink. And we know it's a spiritual drink, you know, this, this Holy Spirit. And she's using a natural reason why she can't have the water. 
You hear me? She's looking at natural solutions to a spiritual need. You know, isn't that true for us? You know, we're presented with so many challenges, hardships. And we pursue natural solutions first instead of going to the Father and believe what the Spirit of God can do. Because many of us, we've been contending for natural solutions. But what God, especially in our world, and notice how Jesus answers her. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water I will give him will believe in him will be a spring of water rolling up to eternal life. And here's the big shift. She said to him, sir, give me this water that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She asked. She asked for the water. She's ready for the living water. She says, give me that water. And God gives her that water. You know, Jessica Sayun, they sang that song on, you know, if you notice, was that amazing? The girls out there, the ukulele, the granddaughters out there. And they're singing one of my favorite songs that Jessica Sayun and I think Rachel as well, they actually wrote this song, Just One Drop. It should have been a special today. Just One Drop. Just one drop of, of, this, of this water, this love, can change the world. This girl takes just a sip. She gets a word of knowledge. Jesus gives her this word. We're talking about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, right? Exercising in that power and that water and that living. That, wa- that one drop was a word that Jesus gives her. And he goes, go call your husband and come here. The woman answers him. She goes, I have no husband. Jesus reads her mail. <laughs> You are right in saying, I have no husband. You have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. She goes, what you have said is true. And the woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And this one, this one word, this one river, this one drop, right? She gets a word. And remember that song? Just one drop can change the world. And she drops her pot, never gives Jesus the drink. She drops everything, runs to the town. If you run over to verse 39, the whole town comes to the Lord because of that one drop of love. Amen? The whole town comes to the Lord because of that one word given to the one woman that is the most unqualified to lead, to be used. The power of the Holy Spirit. You know, that is, that is what we're at a place where Jesus is saying, will you drink? Is anyone here really thirsty? And there were all kinds of problems because many times in adversity, in times of turmoil, God will birth prophetic prayers. God will birth things. You know, I mentioned um, my daughter, you know, having her her birthday and and I want to talk about another woman and here's a woman who has some circumstances, but another woman who also prayed a prayer and cried out to God. And that is Hannah. You know, my daughter's name is Johanna, and we named her after Hannah in the scriptures. And so not only does she get a, a, a kind of birthday camp out, she gets a birthday message too, I guess, okay? But that's fun. But, but here's another woman in the Bible who was waiting for, and God is just waiting to, God, he wants to, guys, he is crying out. We should be the one crying out to God. He's saying, Lord, just take a drink. Just cry out to me. And God is waiting for a people to cry out to him. And he, he was waiting for this woman, a prayer to be prayed so he can answer it. And so here's this woman who had just been um, 
you know, asking for this water. And here's another woman who is burdened by the, her, her current situation. And you're going to find out in her situation, this woman is barren. The nation is in turmoil. Politically, there's corruption in the priesthood. There's corruption in the governments. Everything is crumbling in. And here, we see God birth literally a son not only gives to answer her prayer, but will really birth a full nation. And I want to pick up her, her story in 1 Samuel chapter 1. And it says that there was a certain man of Ramathiam Zohim off the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah. That's, that's, that's going to be the, the husband. And he's the son of Jehoram, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, and Ephrathite. He had two wives. And by the way, that's not the problem, although it is a problem. Okay, this is not the adversity or that it could be a problem. And it says the name of the one was Hannah and the name of the other was Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. So you can see the conflict. And of course, the reason why he had two wives, you're going to know this story, is because Hannah was barren. She was unable to have children. And once again, like many of us, Elkanah thought, and it was, the, it was a, polygamy was a, a thing in the culture. This is actually one of the only recorded, um, the first one's recorded section of scripture where you have someone actually, pra actually practicing polygamy. It was never encouraged by the Lord at all. But Elkanah thought that, you know, he had to help God out, so he took another wife. Because he needed some sons. He needed someone to pass his inheritance to. It was culturally, it was what, you know, he felt this was what God was doing. But instead of trusting the Lord, right, you know, he did this and, look, and watch the mess it creates. But God still moves. He says this. He says, now this man would go up year by year to a city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts of Shiloh. Where the two sons of Eli, Hophni, and Peninus were priests of the Lord. And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. Now, obviously, showing favoritism, causing this division. And so her rival, right, used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her room. So went out year by year, as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. And so natural response, Hannah's weeping. She's broken. She wept and she would not even eat. She would not even eat. And what we find here is because they're disobedient, judgment had come upon Israel. And God was waiting for his people to cry out to him, to trust in him, to honor him. And yet they, they weren't. And so what takes place here is that it was God was doing something in Hannah. Because notice, it's, the scripture says that God closed Hannah's womb. You see, some situations kind of like, who knows what happened with the five husbands? You know, some, who knows the, her story? But sometimes we bring on troubles ourselves and there's hardship and it's on us. Sometimes we experience hardships and there's no real explanation and here's a situation where Hannah, the Lord had closed her womb. It is nothing on her doing. And because of that, and we're going to see here, is that um, she is being provoked. She's miserable. I mean, some of us here, we've been miserable about our lives. 
we've all experienced different hardships. You know, many of us, when it comes to crying out to God, you know, we want that one drop. Notice it says it went year after year. She wouldn't eat. She wouldn't greet. You know, you can see she's in this midst of great deep depression, brokenness, hardship. Guys, it's been a long two years, hasn't it? A lot of challenges. Even to the point where um, her Eli, you know, she's there and, and, her, and her husband comes to her to comfort her. And he says to her in verse 8, why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? And he goes, am I not more to you than ten sons? I guess not. But anyways, that's not the real point. But they're trying to comfort her, trying to console her. And nothing is happening. And so we read on in verses 9 to 11. It says, after they had eaten and they drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. And Eli the priest was sitting there on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed. And then here it is. Here's the shift that was shaped your nation. This impacts you. This verse is you. This will change the whole course of a nation. One woman's prayer. It's happening now. She prayed to the Lord. And she wept bitterly. And she vowed and she says this. O Lord of hosts, if you indeed will look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget the servant... But will give your servant a son that I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And no razor shall be touched his head. He cries out to God. She cries out to the Lord for that, for a son, for a blessing. You're kind of wondering what's the whole, what's the whole shaving head thing. That was a Nazarite vow. You're kind of familiar with the story of Samson. You bless me a son and I will dedicate him to the Lord and he will serve you. No razor shall be cut up on his head. He will follow the law. He will, he will be, I will raise him in the things of the Lord. And so as she's continuing to pray, notice what it says in verse 12 to 14. She's continuing to pray before the Lord, and Eli observes her mouth. Now Hannah, she's not crying out loud. It says that she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips are moving. Her voice was not heard. And so therefore, they've seen this woman Depressed, broken, not eating. This woman's drunk. This is a drunken woman. And here's the leadership, right? The priest coming down on her. And obviously it wasn't looked well upon. You know, it, it was an issue. It was an issue in the church. It was an issue in the people were, were instead of crying out to God, they were going in. And that's why he, he says to you, he goes, how can you... He, she continued to pray. He goes, how long will you go on being drunk? He says, put your wine away from you. Don't find refuge in, in you know, in, in, in wasting your life away and drinking your sorrows away. You know, this is an issue not just here, but we, we're reading in 1 Corinthians. Drunkenness within the church was a huge issue. Instead of turning to the Lord and being, Lord, give me your, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to trust in you. It's more and more common that people are going to find their sorrows and escape from life. That's why in Ephesians says, do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. I like the message translation, though. It's a loser translation. Listen to this one. Don't drink too much wine. It cheapens your life. Drink the Spirit of God. Huge drafts of him. 
Sing hymns instead of singing songs. No, sing, sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to the Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God from the Father is in the name of our master, Jesus Christ. I got to be real with you. You know, there's been a little bit of a country, you know, influence in my household right now. And we're into the country. I see it in the church. You know, people are getting into the whole country scene and we're kind of trying to find some good country music. And then I'm like, yeah, I get into that kind of stuff, you know. But I noticed like nine or eight out of the ten country songs are all about drinking your sorrows away, right? And I'm like, don't you kids, you find a song that, you know, it's like, it's, it's tough, right? And, and that's the kind of the culture today. You know, like, well, let's make some, you know, let's, let's sing about the, the truth instead of post, let's post that picture, you know, instead of like, I'm going to f- do that. But that's not what Hannah does. She doesn't go there. She didn't play that song, right? This is what she wanted. She's crying out for God in the midst of all of it. And look what happens. Verse 19. She says, she rose early in the morning. She worships the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah, and Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. Now, we already know he knew his wife, so he means that he, had, he was intimate with her, right? And as a result of that, in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. Can I get an amen? And she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. I don't have time. That's a whole other Bible study, but, you know, he has to know Samuel. One of the most powerful prophets, judges over Israel. He was instrumental in the establishment of Israel as a, as a nation. And God chose him and he anointed him to leave Israel. You know, Pastor Rick talked about how, listen, over the next couple months, we're going to be getting some keys. We're going to be giving you some direction how we can go about, you know, becoming that battleship. We can go about going on the offense and praying prayers. That he, these are, these, listen, these, there's a women that can change the whole nation. I really believe that. I want to close with giving you those quickly. The first one is what we took place in the, the cry of Hannah's heart is that God, prayers of desperation, they move God's heart. They move God's heart. I mean, Hannah was at the very bottom. The woman, you know, she five husbands, middle of the day, and one encounter with Jesus. Okay, I'll take the give me that water. I mean, it would get so bad for Hannah that she wouldn't eat. All she would do would, tr- would cry. And nobody, encouraged it from nobody. Some of you are in that place. Some of you are online. You're not in church. And some reason you're hearing this word. You're at the end. There's a desperation. It might have been a long night last night. You know, many, many trips to escape in misery and whatever it may be. That's why you can't sometimes just pray a prayer from a, a book or even just read a scripture. Sometimes it's got to come from, you know, a heart. You can't just impress Jesus. What presses Jesus is when you, you come hungry and you're thirsty. You know, and he says he comes to that sincere place like Hannah. And I'm not sure if we're here yet as a church. That's why I want, I think that's part of it. What we're daily hungry and thirsting for that, that kind of drink that, no, that nothing else can satisfy, that authentic place. You see, the, the other key for her to come to that place of saying, God, she, both of them, they couldn't harbor offense. You know, Hannah and the Samaritan woman, they could have easily been offended. 
ticked off about many things. Especially Jesus coming, why are you talking to me? Get, she could have ran from Jesus. Don't be talking to me. I'm a Samaritan woman. Notice Hannah. First of all, she could have been offended by God. Was it her fault that her woman was, her, all her dreams are falling apart? No. She refused to be offended by God. Some of you are angry at God. She could have been offended by Eli, the leadership of the church. I want nothing to do with the temple. And, and if you've been a Christian long enough, you've had to deal with some kind of hurt, some pain. Someone has said something to you that could have easily for, you know, offended you. But Hannah had to learn how to walk in, for, in forgiveness. You know, Eli, he was the high priest. And what we learn from this is because Hannah did not embrace offense, she was able to receive and to cry out for the blessings of God. Such an important message today for the church. Because instead of walking in forgiveness toward one another, we harbor bitterness. You know, we, we, we were, we're angry at all kinds of things. But we need to be Jesus on the cross, right? Forgive them, right? For they do not know what they do. We need to be quick to forgive and move forward, right? I'm, I'm, the past is the past. I don't got time to be, I got to move forward with what God wants for me. You know, I've been maybe misguided like Eli had been or, but now it is time, right? He says, okay, God, I'm gonna, now is the time. And today's the time and we're going to do that where you lay your burden at the altar. And that's what she did. And that's the, the fourth thing that she, she does. She was in despair. She didn't want to eat. She cries out. She prays from the heart. And after that prayer, the Bible says she ate. She got some pineapple relish on that hot dog, right? She had the feast. And then the Bible says that she, she was no longer sad and she experienced this transformation in her heart of gladness and joy. Talking about a 180. Read the rest of the book. She says, I, and I believe what, what Hannah experienced, what all of us can experience, is what experienced in, in Matthew 11 that needs to take place today. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus says this to them. He says, come to me. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest, he says. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. He goes, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest in your souls. My burden is light, he says. He goes, he says that. He says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And many of you are carrying burdens you're not supposed to be carrying. You know, and that's what we do. We bring it, we lay it at the altar. There are times when we, you know, we lay our burdens before the Lord. And God can actually lift those burdens from our shoulders and not only will it transform our hearts, but it transforms us spiritually, but also physically. There's people that battle depression, anxieties, and fears. It's because you're carrying stuff you're not supposed to carry. I share this all the time. I struggle with this. Because, you know, Joe Hogan could do a lot of stuff. But Joe Hogan ain't that good. We all need to be at that place of, you know, what are you carrying? What are you burdening? That's not yours. Right? Because I notice this, not only did she lay, this is the heavy one because this blows me away because not only did she lay her burden down at the altar, 
the very, very thing she desired to be a mom, to have a son, she sacrifices her own desires for the Lord. See, when she cries out to God, she says, listen, I'm going to give him right back to you. You know, you know, ask of anything in my name. And he says, but it's according to the Lord. But ultimately, God, I want what you want. And the very thing she was desperate for, she was willing to give back her heart to have children. But this was most powerful. More than her heart to have children is her heart to please the Lord. That was, that was, that was above all. Lord, more than anything, I want to, I want to, I don't want nothing to make me an idol. And that's what I love about, you know, what took place in our pastors. You know, you know, more than anything, it's not, this is, this is about the kingdom. Lord, I want what you want more than anything else. And that closes us out to what she did and is this, is that she says, okay, Lord, and he fills her with the Holy Spirit and she, Obviously, the woman, she went to the town. She testified to all the Lord had done. Hannah prays a prayer that's completely offensive. It's a prayer of praise in chapter 2. It's a prophetic prayer. It's a powerful prayer. I mean, if you were just to sit and study each of these verses, you will see how she's prophesying in the midst of the broken and the corruption, in the midst of the war. She said, but Lord, you are Lord of all, and you're working, and you're working it out for the good. Despite all the evil that is taking place, God is working. Amen? He's establishing his kingdom. I mean, listen to some of this. I have some time here. It says in in chapter 2, it says, Hannah prayed. She goes, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in God. Now she's smiling at her enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. Talking about offense. She's praying for the ones that, you know, what, what... all the evil that's taking place, God's working it out all to the good. She says, now the one who is holy is Lord. There was none beside you. No, there's any rock like our God. He goes, talk more so very proudly. He says, Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is the God of knowledge. There's so many people that think they're experts. They think they have it all right. No, the, the word of the Lord has it all right. God is establishing things. He goes, the bowels of the mighty men are broken. And those who stumble are girded with strength. And he says here in verse 6, the Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and brings up. He says he makes the poor and makes rich. He brings the low and lifts up. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the beggar from the heap. Is this the same woman in chapter 1? Are you processing what the Holy Spirit's doing in this woman's prayer? And it says, for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. And he sets the world upon them. He will guard the feet of his saints. But the wicked shall be silent in darkness. This woman's powerful woman. For by strength no man shall prevail. And hear this. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. And he says this. He will give strength to his kings and exalt the horn of his anointed. You know, the, this is the first time in the, in, the, in the scripture a prophetic is word where a woman, is, she's, she's prophesying about the anointed. You know what that word anointed is transformed to, tr- translated to? The Messiah. She's talking about Jesus. She's getting the full picture. You see, this, 
this is how beautiful when we go on the offense. When we go on the offense, we release the full arsenal of God. And I see a shift. I see a shift in our prayers. And you can see why Jesus, in the midst of the Feast of Tabernacles, because he saw the corruption, he saw the brokenness in the people, and he's like, why don't they cry out for me? Instead of Jesus crying out and standing in that room, we should be standing and crying out. Jesus did it every single morning. He'd wake up in the, in the cool morning and he'd cry out to God, Lord, help me. And I, I, I believe it. We need to be a little more, and I think we're getting there, guys. I think we're getting there. Where the full arsenal of God's people, if my people will cry out, he's waiting to answer our prayers if we would just be sincere and pray them. You know, I mentioned, um, we have another pastor friend who, her husband actually went to, the, he, he, they were missionaries. They're from, from Poland, I believe. Is it Poland or Ukraine? Ukraine. Hungary, I'm sorry, Hungary. They're, they're missionaries in Hungary and they work with all of Eastern Europe. And he flew back to Eastern Europe to work with the refugees and, and I've heard reports that he's in and out of Ukraine. And listen, to her, her wife just posted this on social media. And this is what she says about her husband being released to do this kind of work in a very ugly, scary zone. She says, there's nothing I would rather be doing today than praying for the aid of those in need. I would rather Caleb, that's her husband, be living out the call dangerously in Eastern Europe because there's no safer place than being in the will of God. She goes on to pray. We are not fearful, but rejoice in what God is doing through his service and all the men. Our prayers, our church body's prayer, reap the blessings. And she says, and I stand confidently in that. And then she closes with this. Prayer is a weapon. I want to invite the worship team to come up because I think it's time for us to stand. I think it's time for us to cry out and to pray and to sing, Lord, give me a drop of that water. I think it's time for us as a church that we get to be in line of what the Lord is truly doing for us to get on the offensive. Jesus is modeling this. We need to ask. We need to cry out. You know, the time is now like never before. Saying, Lord, fill me. Baptize me. Use me. We've had some incredible times these last couple of weeks of, you know, um, some type of altar kind of type ministry. But now I think corporately we're going to stand as one people with one voice crying out to God. Just like they did that Feast of Tabernacles. You know, the one thing I learned at the camp, those girls were, were singing. I don't know if they were singing these kinds of songs, but they were definitely singing. But the Lord is waiting to answer our prayers if we'd only pray them and believe in them and be genuine. And, and offer it, whatever may be your burden. So can we all stand and the, the worship team is going to lead us. And, um, and I'm going to corporately kind of pray. And then I want you to also to pray out loud and, and let the Holy Spirit um, fill this room with our praise and our prayers. So, Father, we do that. We gather in this place. Lifting our hands. As the Bible talks about, we lift our, our hearts with our hands and crying out, God, to fill us full. Lord, we want that living water. God, I pray you would baptize us with your Holy Spirit, God, that you give her a hunger and thirst for righteousness, God, that we would find ourselves, Lord, being filled with the Holy Spirit, God. Lord, we cast all our cares and burdens upon your shoulders. 
We ask, God, that you would do a mighty work in the areas that we are barren, that you would be fruitful. I just sense right now there's people here, you've been dialing anxiety, depression. There's a person here, you've been crying yourself to sleep every single night. Jesus hears your prayer. There's pain, there's suffering, things that you've done, things that have been done in the past, and God's going to turn it all for good in Jesus' name. There's people here, you're struggling, you're saying, Pastor Joe, that's me, I've been wrestling with drugs, alcohol addiction. I've been finding myself at the end of that bottle. Holy Spirit, fill right now in Jesus' name. Be renewed in your spirit, be, be set free from your bonded sin that enslaves you. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finish of our faith. So let's cry out to God. Let's declare the victory that we have in Jesus' name. And as we do that, we're going to be passing out communion so we can be giving some firm vision to what you have for us, God, that we would go on the offense this morning, not on the defense. We're taking ground in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship.
Communion is the way he made the way. You see, when Jesus was about to go to the cross, he, he gathered the disciples together. And the reason why they would celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles and they were celebrating Passover is to be reminded of this truth of the victory that there is in Jesus Christ to empower them to believe in what is going to be true. Because what he said to them is this. This. And for the first time in Passover, they would celebrate the lamb. They would bring sacrifice. But he said, this is, this is not the, the lamb that you've been sacrificing all of these years. What's going to be a sacrifice is my body. The perfect sacrifice, the perfect lamb that was slain. So he says, take, because my body will be broken, but it'll be broken for you. So receive of the body. Because after he took the bread, he took the cup. He says, as often as you eat of the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim not only my death, but my resurrection. Amen. You see, it's because of the blood of Jesus that there is no requirement of bulls and goats. It's by the grace of God. And by the way, Hannah's name, it means the grace of God. It's the favor of God. It's God's grace over your life. He lived the life that you were supposed to live and we couldn't. He died a death that we should have died but yet he died a death that he didn't deserve. But it's because of the blood of Jesus that we can pray our prayers of boldness. It's because of the blood of Jesus with victory over sin, victory over fear, adoptions and bondages and any kind of addiction that sets us free. So drink of the blood and be reminded not only of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, but it says we share in that because just as Jesus rose from the grave <laughs> amen so are we amen drink and declare victory in Jesus name let's lift this place let's cry out the churches begin to pray you have prodigal sons and daughters pray for the the victims you crave pray for all those need pray for our nation pray for our country pray for revival and let's see God do a mighty work in our midst amen
you on Sunday or Wednesday.